Good morning. My name is Adam Venable. For those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm the campus minister over at UAB with Reformed University Fellowship. And this morning we are talking about gospel ambition. And this hit home to me my second year of doing RUF. I'm going into my seventh year, but my second year in RUF, I had hit a spot where I felt like I was burned out. And in the middle of my second year, I was doing everything that I thought I should do uh, to be a successful and fruitful REF campus minister. And I was doing all the right sermons, I, I hoped, and having the right meetings and really putting all of my effort into it, but really felt like I was losing energy to want to do the job. And some of my relationships were suffering because of that. Some of the people that I valued the most, those relationships um, were becoming more and more challenging. Another, another thing I thought of uh, thinking about ambition was this documentary that's been popular um, that I've watched. I, I'm sure some of you have watched called The Last Dance. It's about the Chicago Bulls and their six world championships uh, in the NBA. And one of the themes in that series is ambition, and in particular, the ambition of Michael Jordan, their star player. And he had the ability to get his players to play at a very, very high level. However, the relationships between him and the other players suffered a lot. So that when they finally uh, won these world championships, you always get the feeling that what if they could have the success without the fractured relationships that seem to come from it. Ambition is not always straightforward, and it can be very challenging. And that's what this passage that we're looking at today is all about. Uh, Our passion, our ambition, our drive to want to do something. And this sermon, I hope, is very simple. And what I want you to see, what uh, Paul wants you to see, I think, is that we can't stop and, and think that we're finished, but we've got to keep going and pursue Jesus Christ with our whole heart. We can't think that we're finished, but we've got to keep going and pursue Jesus Christ with our whole heart. So I'm going to read Philippians. This is chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Philippians 3, verses 12 to 16. This is what God's Word says. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not uh, consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us also, let us hold true to what we have obtained. Uh, Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be good and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. So this morning we are looking at ambition and gospel ambition. And like I said, the whole point of today's sermon is that we cannot think that we've arrived or we've finished, but we've got to keep going, pursuing Jesus Christ with our whole heart. And I want to look at three things about ambition, the pursuit, the enemy, and the fuel. So first, the pursuit. Sometimes when you're looking at a passage in the Bible, there's something kind of nerdy that's actually helpful and and important. And this morning, 
There's one of those things. And it's uh, about a verb, two verbs that, that appear in the passage towards the end. And they're subjunctives, or they get translated that way. And a subjunctive is uh, a kind of verb. It's telling you to do something, but the person telling you to do it is inviting you along with them to go do it together. In other words, a normal uh, imperative would be take out the trash. A subjunctive says, let's go take out the trash. A normal imperative is do your homework. A subjunctive says, let's do your homework together. And what Paul is saying here is, let those who are mature think this way. And then again, he says, let us hold fast to what we have attained. And those are both subjunctives. What Paul is saying is, let's do this. Let's think this way together. If you want to be mature as a Christian, let's do this together. And so he's going to describe his own mindset and his own heart as a way of saying, this is how I want us to be and act together. What does he want us to do? He says twice that he wants us to press on. He says, I'm pressing on toward the upward call in Christ Jesus. Two different times. He also says that he's straining forward. And the image there is of a runner. Think of an Olympian uh, who's nearing the finish line and they're straining forward with all their might trying to reach that finish line. And Paul is saying that's what he's doing. That's what it's like to be a Christian for him. And he's saying, let's do this together. Let's have the same mindset together. And the other image, the the verb press on there, it's used in Greek and other places in the hunting world. And so the image is of a hunter who is pursuing his prey. He's pressing on into the forest with a bow and an arrow, and he's trying to hunt down, doing everything he can to pursue that object. And Paul says the thing that we're to pursue is Jesus Christ. The way he describes it is to make Jesus Christ my own. And he's saying, let's do that together. Let's make him our own, the way that a hunter would, and the way that a runner would pursue the finish line. And uh, it's, it's important because the images that the Bible gives us about the Christian life, they're active images of a runner or a hunter. And another another places in the Bible, the image for the Christian life is of a warrior fighting in a battle. That's what it's like to be a Christian, the Bible says, or even a wrestler. That's another image. The point is that the image of the Christian life, it's not a man on a mountaintop who's completely at peace with the world uh, meditating. That's not the primary image of of the Christian life in the Bible, but it's active. It's one of hunting and running and fighting. Paul says, that's what it's like. That's what I'm trying to do. That's what I want us to to do together is to pursue, to make Jesus Christ our own. And what does that look like practically in in your life, in my life? I think it looks like at least three things. And the first, if you want to make Jesus Christ your own, you're going to fight to hear God's word in your life. You're going to fight and claw to get God's word into your heart and into your mind. And that looks like different things sometimes. At the very least, it looks like worshiping God on Sundays and drawing near to God through his word in worship, which right now looks like YouTube videos. But um, normally it would look like coming to worship and not just coming to attend, but trying to put your heart and your mind centered on God's word. It might look like getting up at 6 a.m. and reading the Bible and praying for 30 minutes, if you have the bandwidth to do that. 
Sometimes we don't. Uh, if you've been up all night taking care of a baby, uh, you don't have that kind of bandwidth. And for you, it might look like falling asleep listening to a sermon, and you don't even get through it. But that's what you've got the bandwidth for. We fight to have God's Word in our life. Another way we lay hold of Christ is that we study God's faithful love together. We study God's faithful love. And what that means is that we have a thermometer. It's a spiritual thermometer. And it is taking, the, taking our temperature about our sense, our trust, that God, you are faithful and you love me and you're going to take care of me. And when that sense starts to go away in our heart and our mind, our thermometer goes off and tells us, and we go and we pray to God, God, I have lost sense that you love me. I need you to help me. Or you go to a friend and you tell your friend, I just don't feel God's love in my life anymore. Would you pray for me? To lay hold of Jesus Christ, we fight for God's word and we study God's faithful love. And the last thing I think is that you search for locked rooms in your, in your heart. Search for locked rooms in your heart. And that means this, that we are prone to say to God, God, you can have all these parts of my life in my heart. But these parts, I am keeping for myself. These rooms will remain locked. They're under my control. God, you cannot have them. And because we're prone to do that, we have to keep watch out for them. And when we find them, to go to God and say, Lord Jesus, there is a part of my life that I have kept for myself. And I'm scared to give it to you. Would you help me to unlock this door, to allow you into this part of my life, start to rearrange the furniture? And, or maybe it looks like going to a friend and saying, there is a part of my life that I have held back from God my whole life. And I don't know how to allow him in, but would you pray for me that uh, he would come into my life in that locked room? So those are ways that we can lay hold of Jesus Christ. That's the pursuit. But what's the enemy? What's the enemy? And he hints at this in the passage when Paul says, not that I have already obtained it or am perfect. Not that I have already obtained it or am perfect. Paul says, I want to lay hold of Jesus Christ. I want to make him my own. I'm, I'm pursuing him. And I want you to know, I want to emphasize that I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. I'm not finished. God's not done with me. I still struggle. There's still lots of parts of my life that need to be transformed. And, and uh, I'm, I'm praying for God to be patient with me because of that. Now, um, how does this look, I think, in, in the uh, secular world sometimes? What's the enemy of ambition, the enemy of gospel ambition? I think it can look like this, that when you've got enough money and your house is big enough, and your children are happy enough and well-behaved enough, you can sort of think, that I must be a pretty good person. You know, God must like me, and uh, God must like me a lot, actually, because look at all the stuff I have. I can buy stuff, and uh, that there's lots of things to enjoy. And so, man, I'm, I, must have, I must have arrived in life. And what Paul wants to say is that, this world is not your home. This world is not the place to settle down and decide, you know, I just want to be happy here forever. He says, we haven't been made perfect yet. We haven't attained the, the glory that we want. It's laying hold of Christ. 
You can't get it in this world. There's an upward heavenly call. That's where we're going. What about um, the religious enemy? What's the religious enemy? And I think sometimes it's something like this. The demands of being a warrior and a hunter and a wrestler and running the race of laying hold of Jesus Christ, it is, it's hard, it's difficult. And because it's so hard, many people give up, but they still want to be religious. And so when they give up, they just create external, rigid rules that they're going to keep. And they'll keep those external, rigid rules instead of having a, the demanding personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you do that, uh, you become very impatient with other people and impatient with yourself, but also sometimes very impressed with yourself. You think you're righteous. No one else is. And Paul is saying, don't think you have arrived. You have not been transformed fully. You're not the man or woman or boy or girl that God made you to be yet. There is work yet to be done. You're still the kind of person that desperately needs Jesus Christ to work in your life. And you will need him desperately to transform you until the day that you die. The great enemy of gospel ambition, of following Jesus Christ, is thinking that you've already arrived. Thinking that you should already be perfect, right? And that's why we have so much self-loathing sometimes. Because we think, you know, as a Christian, I, should, I shouldn't struggle with sin anymore. Um, and Paul is saying, if you still struggle with sin, then you're a normal Christian. Why is this important? At least three reasons. I've already mentioned one. Have you ever thought this? That, you know, if I were a real Christian, then I wouldn't struggle with X, Y, or Z. Fill in the blank. Or have you ever thought this? I must be a terrible mother. I must be a terrible father because my children still struggle with X. Or have you ever thought this in your marriage? You are the problem. Not me. You're the problem. Not me. All those things, all those ways of thinking, you have forgotten that Paul's saying, look, you're, you're not finished yet. You're not done. Uh, your children aren't done. They're still being transformed. It's a process. They're not supposed to be perfect. And uh, neither is your spouse. And you're certainly not perfect. Christ's work for you is complete and done and finished and can never be repeated ever. Christ's work in you is imperfect. Christ, the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit inside you, it's, uh, it's in process. It's not done. And that's the, the, the big difference between sanctification and justification, right? Justification happens one time. You don't grow in justification. When you're justified, God forgives you of all of your sins, past and present and future. And it is done. You are as justified today as you will be in 20 years. Sanctification does not happen at once. It is a process that's lifelong. And the more you're sanctified, the more God reveals to you those locked rooms in your heart. And when you first became a Christian, you thought, you know, my house is pretty clean, I guess. But the closer you are to Jesus, the closer his light reveals those locked rooms in your house, those dark places that you are afraid to go. And the more he reveals your own sin, 
And the more you realize his grace is so much bigger than you thought. And Paul is saying, in order to do that, you have to remember that you haven't made it yet. You haven't attained it. You haven't finished. You're still imperfect. All right, the pursuit and the enemy. What about uh, the fuel? What about the fuel of gospel ambition? And uh, he says this, and it's, it's just a short phrase. We, we could have almost missed it. You know, right in the middle as he's saying, I want to make Jesus Christ my own. He says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I want to pursue Jesus Christ because he pursued me. I want to lay hold of Jesus Christ because he has already, in the past, it's already done and finished, he's already laid hold of me and he can never leave me nor forsake me. He has got me. And that's what's going to fuel me to want to lay hold of him. Now, there's many different things that fuel us in life, right? I was reading an article this week, and um, the title of the article was The Joy of Doing Nothing. The Joy of Doing Nothing. And it's all about guided meditation and how guided meditation can refuel you and help you to go back into the workplace, which is very demanding, uh, able to go back and be ambitious about your work because you've done this guided meditation. And the article said that the reason it was helpful was because it helped you to enter into a space where you had no goals. You could throw away all the demands of corporate life and you could just sit in a space that was peaceful where there was no goals. Um, the writer of the article said something like, you know, finally they discovered the jewel, uh, they discovered the laziness that had always eluded them in life. They had always tried harder and harder and harder and they were burning out. And then finally in this meditation, they were able to just stop and do nothing. And it was so awesome. Now, that's a secular way to sort of fuel yourself, to keep your ambition going. Um, what about religious life? How do uh, Christians do it sometimes? Churches. What are the things that fuel churches besides the gospel? And I think one of them is sometimes liturgy. Um, sometimes churches, the thing that animates them and excites them and really keeps them going is their liturgy. They're very excited about it. Another thing sometimes is social justice. Churches will be all about social justice. They want to be thoughtful and tangibly show mercy to the poor in their city. And that's really the thing, sometimes, that energizes the church and fuels them. Another thing might be a sense of felt connectedness, that our church is all about feeling connected and like a family and fellowship. And that's what we hope is going to just fuel and animate and make us very ambitious about what we want to do as a church. And I would argue, and what Paul is saying here, is that none of those things, uh, guided meditation or liturgy or social justice or even fellowship, none of those things can fuel you to do what God is asking from you. Because God is asking, remember, your whole heart. From 1 to 100, from A to Z, every single bit of you your mind, and your heart, and your soul? What can fuel you to pursue Jesus Christ? It is only, only that he has laid hold of you, and he has made you his own. He's never going to leave you or forsake you.
in order to pursue Jesus Christ the way that he's called us to, we need a fuel that's bigger than cancer and a fuel that's bigger than a death of someone you love deeply, uh, a fuel that's bigger than addiction. You need the, the nuclear spiritual fuel that Paul is saying can only be found in Jesus Christ. He's laid hold of me. And there's many different images of this in the scriptures. And I found one in Isaiah, the Old Testament book of Isaiah, looks forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. And especially this upward calling that Paul mentions here. Upward, just another way of saying heavenly. It's a heavenly calling. This is the way he describes, look, when you finish the race, when you finally chase down Jesus Christ, when he returns, this is what the finish line is going to be like. This is what Isaiah says. Arise, shine, for your light has come. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. God is saying that he will rejoice over you when you see him face to face, when you finally lay hold of Jesus Christ the way that he's laid hold of you, when you finally drain every ounce of grace out of Jesus Christ, not that it can ever be drained, but when it's filled you up completely, he's still the Niagara Falls of grace, but it's filled you up completely. When you've laid hold of him, he will rejoice over you the way that a husband rejoices over his bride on their wedding night. And the book of Zephaniah says that God already rejoices over you with singing. The Bible promises that. God rejoices over you with singing. Do you know that? Already. But the good news is that when he returns, when we reach that upward calling, when we've laid hold of him by sight, not just by faith, he will rejoice over us and we will feel it. Because right now, we don't always feel it, that he rejoices over us. Actually, many times, we just don't feel it. I don't feel it a lot of the times. But when he returns and we cross the finish line, his promise, the good news, is that we will feel it forever. Don't you long for that? Every day, 24-7, to feel in your bones that God rejoices over you with singing. And not just you, but our whole community. So let's not think that we've arrived, but let's keep going, pursuing Jesus Christ, laying hold of him with our whole hearts. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do confess that it is easy to become indifferent to to you, Lord Jesus, to our relationship with you, to your love for us, And so we pray that you would remind us of the way that you've laid hold of us. Help us to see every day your faithful love and that we are in your grip, um, that you can never leave us. You're the love that will not let us go. And help us to live out of that, to put our whole hearts and minds, help us to invite you into the parts of our hearts that we've have kept hidden from you so that we might experience more and more of your glory in our lives. And not just us as individuals, but as a community. We pray that you would uh, do that in Jesus' name. Amen.